Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. One, two, one, two. Turn that music up a little. Shout out to Haley. Mark Thompson, you a fool for this one. Let me change my words, you a king for this one. We're going to treat every day like the beginning of the morning. It's time to get woke. It's time to open up your mind. It's time to open up your heart. This is Make It Plain. Make It Plain. M-I-P. With Massimella Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. Get Woke. Folks, this edition of Make It Plain is on location at the 110th Annual NAACP Convention. And this is sort of a, a guerrilla edition because we commandeered some space, lovely space, uh, out here on the terrace at Cobo Hall, the convention center here in Detroit, Michigan. And uh, if you're watching this on video, uh, you not only see the beautiful uh, water behind us, but you see Canada, where many are considering fleeing, if they haven't already, if uh, Trump is reelected. Uh, but in between uh, uh, the water and us is also Nelson Mandela Way. Of course, uh, one of the stops Nelson Mandela made when he came uh, to the United States after being freed from imprisonment. This is, uh, this is a real, uh, uh, real live piece, birds and the people mover. Um, but he came here to Detroit because of the work that organized labor did for him and the role organized labor played uh, in the anti-apartheid struggle. Um, one of my favorite quotes from that era um, was the role of women. And it was said um, that when they came to arrest Winnie Mandela and they came to attack other women in the struggle, uh, the women had a saying uh, that, that the ANC Women's League started to use quite frequently. And that saying was, uh, you have touched the women and now you have struck a rock. Uh, and it was very, very clear in that struggle the role that women played um, and what they were able to do to end apartheid in South Africa. Women are going to play a role here in this country to liberate us from the ongoing oppressions, the myriad of oppressions that our people face. But women 
face tenfold. One, because they're women. Two, because women oftentimes more than ever are the major breadwinners, the heads of household, doing everything, even though they don't get the credit uh, that they deserve. Um, Donald Trump has chosen to uh, embody that by attacking women at all times, but particularly women of color most recently, the squad. So <laughs> I have a diverse group of women here. here. That's right, we've got a squad right here. Uh, and one more, it'd really be a squad because it'd be five. You know, get one more sister, we, you know, we play some ball and crush everybody. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but we have uh, some very distinguished women here with me. I'm gonna introduce them and then talk to them um, about how they feel about what's going on and what they see their role is in relationship to their organizational work. Um, so, uh, first of all, uh, Sister um, Patrice Lawrence is here, National Policy Advocacy Director of UndocuBlack. That's right. I got it all right, didn't I? You got it all right. All right. <laughs> uh, seated uh, next to me, she wears many hats. We will introduce her as a longtime uh, community activist and uh, a new title, uh, uh, party hopper. She hopped a couple of parties with me last night. She wasn't going to do it, Tiffany, but I was like, no, we're going to do this. When you come with me and we go to the NAACP convention, we hit it all. We hit it all. So we were out. We were in the streets in Detroit on last night. And then she left me. Said, I ain't waiting on you no more. I'm getting the Uber. I'm going home. So she got real grown on us. But uh, Queen uh, Yonajaha is also with us. Glad to have her here. We're going to be hearing from her. Um, Fatima Tico, uh, also uh, an activist in the community and uh, a business person as well uh, in leadership as a woman. We want to hear from her. And last but not least, because I'm going to ask talk to her first because she may um, have to run. We literally are, in, this is being recorded literally while we're in the midst of the NAACP convention it is going on right now the 110th uh, convention um, the youth and college division director now everybody I've known who's held that role has gone on to be absolutely famous and they become great and everybody knows them and they're on television and then they don't return my calls anymore <laughs> so I don't know if if no, I'm just kidding but 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 uh, Tiffany is is on her way and if there's one staff member now at the NAACP that I hear, hear the elders talk about the most it's uh, it's Tiffany. So uh, Tiffany Dean Lofton, we want to hear from her first of all. First of all, how are you? I'm wonderful. It's hot out here, but it feels good. Well, you see, we're cold inside. I did want to sit outside. You're right, and now it's on the back of my neck, and I'm like, maybe <laughs> I will be here about maybe ten minutes. Go ahead. See, it'd be very sexist for me to say you act like a woman. It's too cold. It's too cold in here. Take me outside. It's too hot outside. Take me back Take in. Me back inside. But women don't do that. What you want me to do? That's, that's not that's, stereo, that's that we're not gonna give in that stereotype. Women don't do that. I see. I know some men who do it sometimes too. Everybody does sometimes too. Um, Tiffany, how do you feel about Trump attacking? Um, the squad, women of color, you think that's that's random or he's like literally saying something. He's trying to attack women of color in general and that's strategic. Let's be very clear. This man, even though he is an idiot, he is extremely, extremely strategic. Nothing that he does is unintentional. Sometimes it's really dumb. 
Sometimes it's disrespectful, violent, but it's all strategic. The fact that he will denounce certain countries, will pass executive legislation to um, uh, separate people and communities of color, the fact that he has dog whistled, right, when it comes to brown folks, when it comes to immigrants, the fact that he has attacked this squad is all intentional. He's doing it not because he knows that we know he's a racist. He's doing it because he's in, inflaming his base of people to believe in difference mm. and to continue to organize and be violent towards difference. And he's doing a really good job at it. And when I was on Twitter the other day watching it, it was disheartening to see so many people tweet back at him and call him a racist. Because I'm like, y'all, he don't care if we call him racist or not. He's been racist this entire time. So who are the folks that are supporting him? Who are the folks that voted for him in office in the first place? Who are the, the, the delegates of each state who get to decide in the, in the, um, in the uh, uh, what's it called, uh, electoral college that, that vote him in office. Who are those folks that we need to target? Because this man cannot get elected again. He shouldn't be here in the first place, mm. but he cannot get elected again. Folks don't recognize the institutional damage he's doing to us, right? Around the Supreme Court, around the census, around voting, around voter uh, suppression. That's what matters. Us tweeting back at him and calling him stupid, ugly, and a red Cheeto and, and racist. None of that matters. He doesn't care about none of that. So we have to be strategic back. Yeah. Um, you literally are at work. I mean, we, we're here. Yeah, my this job. Is, this is your, she's, we at her job, y'all. We, yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I know you got to go and, and you have other activities, but um, tell us about your role, youth and college director, and, and how in that role you are uh, being strategic and helping young people who are your constituents be strategic to hit him back. Listen, um, I didn't grow up an NAACP baby. I joined the NAACP when I was in college, um, paid my membership dues, and then, you know, I had a conversation about where I, where I thought in these moments of violence I knew I could best serve. And in the last eight years since I've been organizing, and yes, it's been eight years since you and I have met, literally, no. I have, yes, it has. And um, mm -hmm, I, I moved to D.C. in 2011, it's 2019. Damn, I know, honey, tell me. <laughs> so, um, so, and a lot has happened, right? Uh, in the last eight years, I have strategically been blessed. I don't think it was intentional because, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Strategically been placed to always work for membership-based organizations and black people. People of color, some sort of, whether it was a, whether it was the National Labor Movement, right? I worked at the AFT, the National Education Association, and the AFL-CIO. And I was president, when you met me, United States Student Association. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, sure so, and, and so I think about, like, my, my gift and, and, and how I want to strengthen and grow my talents. This is the place where I need to be. Not in the heat, but like at the Kobo Center with 900 young black actors, activists from across the country. Um, so this job is very personal for me because I care deeply about the, the responsibility of moving a generation of young black people into work, right? Um, and, yep. and training them professionally. And so, you know, the NAACP has a lot of stereotypes. Black people got a lot of stereotypes. And those things sometimes are synonymous. I, I have my own, um, uh, uh, you know, just disappointments with, I think, where we're at as a community, as, as probably everybody shares them. Mm. But I recognize that my job is to move, train, professionally develop, love on and celebrate these young black folks that I get to work with every single day across the entire country. Because if I don't do it, and if nobody else does it, they're going to they're going to go do whatever it is that they're going to go do. Yeah. And we need them, right, to know their power, and we need them to know that they have legitimacy, that they have agency, that they are smart and intelligent. The NAACP is predominantly 60 years and older. But I, I take it as a task, as a, as a priority for myself nationally, to make sure that we're recruiting more black folks to the space. Yeah. Not everybody going to come. 
Because everybody got different organizations, different affiliations, that's fine. But my job is to recruit as many people as possible and train them for the work that we want to do. When we, when we joined the coalition to grant clemency for Centoya Brown, we won that. When we organized and registered hundreds of thousands of voters last year, youth were a part of that, that conversation that I worked with at the NAACP. When we talk about bailing out national mothers and partnering with the three, uh, four black queer women in Georgia who are the leaders of the National Collective Bailout. We partnered with them and bailed out in the DMV area, 13 black mothers. And so, and we use the, the students to do that, to connect them to real work. My job is so important. Um, not me, but the seat that I'm sitting in that I'm renting, right? Yeah. The seat that I'm renting mm -hmm. is so important. Um, so I take this responsibility really important, and I'll just say this real quick, because I know he's talked about me on your show multiple times. I can't appreciate enough having a boss who um, doesn't micromanage, doesn't block me, right? Um, challenges me. We we fight about our hair color all the time, um, and and we also uh, you know we're able. The to... The two of you fight about your hair color. Yeah, because he be talking about I ain't got waves and stuff. You know what I'm saying? And then I dyed my hair color, so now he's saying that I got more gray than him. And he's younger. He's he should be the youth and college division director. So I'm like, yo, like you know what I'm saying? So so I think about like how he has been um, supportive to the movement that I'm building, yeah. and uh, I couldn't ask for a better boss at this moment at the NAACP. They're talking about NAACP president oh, uh, uh, Derek Johnson. Um, everything you said is true, and I think we all would agree, you know, the NAACP, um, you know, needs to come up more and needs to pass the torch more and, and bring younger people up in it. But I will say this, of all the civil rights organizations, and, you know, we go to all these conventions. Right. Still, even though the youth are not in the majority, you see even less youth at most of these other organizational events. I mean, most of them. Yeah. You know, um, and so the NAACP has more activities, more engagement for young people, more things specifically directed at them. Um, so, so that's a good thing. Here's, here's, this is a great thing because I think here's the strength of the NAACP. And I'm not. To, this is not to generalize or say that other organizations that are smaller or local or state. I'm talking about national organizations. Right, right. It starts in the beginning of the youth in middle school. When we talk about other organizations that do youth work, That's true. they're talking about millennials. That's true. People my age, I'm 30. People talking about my age. Nobody is starting really before that, before before they get to college, before they get to high school. I have literally a 12, 13-year-old state president for my youth and college chapter in South Carolina. For the right. state. Wow, that's great. And Tyler. And he's phenomenal. Tyler is phenomenal. And now he's running for the board. So, like, in ways that folks want to engage young people, we have to remember that young people is a, is a changing word, right? It that's changes true. every single year. And so the NAACP, I got, you know, maybe 900 people here, maybe 500 or 500 of them probably are young people under the age of 18. That's that, yeah. Everybody else is in college. Right. So I think that that's our strength as well. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And, you know, young is ever changing. You know, I'm young. Yeah, you are. Thank you. Did you want us to laugh and like negate that? No, y'all, yeah, but, but y'all didn't answer quick <laughs> enough. Y'all didn't say, yeah, that's right, brother. Right, I was. Um, I plead the fifth. And and, and and just one other thing, you know, the AXO competition, which I yeah, think should be nationally yeah. televised on something, because yeah. that's just incredible to see the gifts of those young people. Um, uh, Tiffany Dina Lofton with us, uh, Fatima. Uh, oh, before I move on though, let, let me just say this: when you were talking about helping these young people and guiding them. We don't know. I don't think we realize. I think we realize our parents and grandparents' generations, the impact of, you know, the name calling and the racist words toward them and the go back home stuff. I mean, this guy's bringing that all back. I don't know that these young people, millennial and younger, uh, I don't know if we know how it really impacts them to hear. How does a, a young uh, sister of color, 18 and under, or for that matter, 20-something and under, mm -hmm. 
feel when she sees the president tell somebody like her to go back home. And, and I don't think we can just gloss over that. Yeah. Because a lot of times, I mean, we're, we're in the fight, all of us here soldiers. But regular everyday folk, young people, I mean, not, I'm, we're talking about young people right now, but adults even, have a hard time, they internalize that. Mm -hmm. And then it manifests itself in, in so many unfortunate and negative ways, the, 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 the least of which often is giving up. Well, I can't do anything, I'm paralyzed, I can't be anything, I can't really go as far as I wanna go. Because I got this man up here, and he's telling me and my folk to go back home. But uh, Fatima, tell me, tell me, tell us what you think about the things that Trump is doing and it, and his impact on people, and and some of the things you're doing about it. So, just to touch back on exactly the statement that you just made um, to that regard, being the individual that I am and working with predominantly NFL, NBA players, celebrities, people of stature, pers media personalities, things like that. My youngers, youngins, look up to me in a different way, you know, to see me not only a woman, a woman of color, but a Muslim woman covered moving around in that environment is very um, encouraging to them. The same way I look up to my sisters, such as Ilhan or Rashida Tlaib, who are in office, who are fighting with us for injustices and inequalities, fighting for us. So it just, it's like a trickle effect. So when I'm maneuvering in, in my activist work and people see me as well in my professional careers, they see that there's a balance. You can do both. But then it's so disheartening when the president, who is supposed to be on the same thought process of fighting for injustices, inequality in America, because that's what we fight for, is not and telling us to go home. My home is Detroit, Michigan. I'm born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. My culture, my community, the diversity, the brothers and sisters, everybody that's the, the, that's sitting on the panel here is a brother or sister. We don't have to be of the same exact color. We all is such <laughs> diverse, you know, panel here. It's we all bleed the same. Yeah. We're all fighting for the same thing. So it's, it's very disheartening. It's very difficult to try and make the youth understand that we cannot stop. We, we cannot stop because now they just feel unsafe. Now I introduce you as activists, and then you say you work with NBA and NFL players. I didn't right. know that. So what do, just give us an idea. What do you do? So I, ha I own a resourcing agency. So we, I, we put together a multitude of things from um, sports camps to their press and media, things like that. But the amazing part of it is my resourcing agency's name is Ambitious Futures. I only work with individuals who are ambitious about their future. So I, I'm very choosy with who I choose to work with um, because I only want to work with those athletes or media personalities who are willing to also support me and what I'm doing and my activism and get out and get in the community, not only with the youth, but with families as well. And that's important, especially now, because I, I think that's why, you know, everybody can, can help and even be a role model, you know, when, when all of our young people are under attack the way they are. Fatima said um, she's a citizen. This is your home. But it, I, if I could just add a friendly amendment to that, the world is our home. And we ought to have the freedom, like white folk do, to go wherever we want to go, freedom of movement, ingress, egress. I want to live here. I want to live there. Uh, frankly, 
Some of us are worthy of dual citizenship. Yeah. Other folk get that. Yeah. Um, so this whole thing, go back home, mm-hmm. all of this is our home. That's right. All right? And uh, one other uh, sister who's here, that was um, Fatima Tico we just heard from, but one other sister who is here with Undocu Black, an organization doing great, great work and activist work and on-the-ground uh, activism work. Um, what are your thoughts about Trump's attack on women of color and whether or not that includes all women of color, including many of those for whom you advocate? Because if he's telling people who are U.S. citizens who are in Congress to go back home, I mean, that just further um, uh, exemplifies what he thinks of people who have migrated to this country, some of whom are are suffering in these um, in these cages. You know, it's 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 sickening. And and all the, everybody in Congress is going down and look at which they should, but I don't need to see nobody else go down. We know what it is. There's, we have all the evidence um, that we could have. But but what what are your thoughts about this this current crisis, the um, the subjugation of migrant people, as well as the attack, the racist and white supremacist attack on people of color? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, you know, it's really difficult because one of the reasons why. Uh, 45 does what he does and says what he says is because it's a simple message and it works, right? So it's a simple message. We can go simply and say that uh, black people, indigenous people, these folks who don't really belong here and they don't like it, so they should go. And it's a simple message and so it works. And what we're not talking about, you know, when I think about like the cages and all that and even the fact of the children, first of all, the first family that was um, separated at the border was a black family. It was a black woman and her child. And media didn't pick that up because it wasn't the cool, sexy story to talk about, right? I am black and undocumented, and my organization is made up of, led by, represented, all this, real FUBU, <laughs> by black and undocumented people. And a lot of us being women who are at the forefront every single day, women and queer people at the forefront every day doing this work. And when he came to power, he you know, had a whole machinery behind him. There are people like, you know, Center for Immigration Studies and FAIR and all these groups that have for the past 20 years or so been planning on how to just unleash this venom, right? So one of the first things that he did was he took away the safe methods. He started defunding um, the ability for children and their families to, uh, to, to have foster care, to have safe shelters. All of that existed before he took office. This is not a crisis. But what he did was he took away all the other roads that people could travel to be safe. He took away all the other options that people had and then created these concentration camps and then said, hey, media, come here and look and watch. And so you see these people in cages. And so the words he used, you know, to me, like, tell you to go back home, that hurt. But I feel like the one that hurt more was then he called people infestation like compared us to vermin, you know, like rodents. And I was like, wow, okay, this is where we're really going. What he called, you know, where I come from and other people, shithole countries. Like, I can't ever forget that statement. To me, that was just really disgusting and what that means for a person. But you know why he's doing it? Because we're fighting. 
every single day we're fighting, right? We are fighting, we're getting arrested. You know, I got arrested, you know, two years ago. We are standing up and he is seeing the solidarity in a way that uh, I'm not sure he expected, right? Because he doesn't want all of us to combine together. We have a lawsuit. Andakibak has a lawsuit against this president, or first one, um, for what he's doing to Liberians who have been in this country for almost 30 years. Liberia was founded by black Americans, right? That That's their history, and he doesn't like that. So he crushed that program and we're suing him, right? And so he's scared of things like that because this is black people standing up for what is right. Um, you know, that's that is supposed to end uh, March 31, 2020, and not on my watch. It's not gonna happen on my watch. And those things, not on my watch, it can't, right? It can't, we're gonna fight back. And we've got all these groups that are with us doing it as well. And so he's scared. He's scared. Election's coming and he wants to bring out a vitriol and he's right. scared. And then the, the, the last bit is, you know, the part that money plays, right? When we think about um, prison industrial complex, it's more than just a, a saying. It's for real. And black bodies are being detained, whether it is in prison or it's in, in detention. Did you know when they were doing the raids the other day, the big raids thing he said he was going to do? Yeah. So uh, we're part of this campaign that like said, uh, no, no hotels for ICE. And so a lot of hotels actually said, okay, well, they finally came on board. And rental car companies, Enterprise to this day, has not come on board. ICE was renting 40 vans at a time from different locations that they were getting ready to put people in and then put them in hotels and hold them. ICE cannot do what they do without the cooperation of our police without the cooperation of these rental companies, these hotels, and then these different corporations. Who's, who's feeding the people? Who's feeding the people when they're in jail? Where are they sleeping? Who's giving them the shampoo? Who's, who is doing it? Somebody is profiting off of this. And we have to continue to expose those linkages and shame people. Like, if they say they value families, if they say they Who you value? Only white families? Yeah. Like you only value white families. Well, then make it plain. <laughs> make it plain. Tell us that you only value white families and you don't care about black and brown folks and say that publicly. And I think, you know, that that's part of what we're continuing to do is to really unearth stuff like that and, and really speak truth to power, not just as a saying, but every single day. Like the fact that I'm here across from Canada, I'm speaking truth to power. I can't go over there. I can't go over there. And that's made up. That's, that's messed up. It's made up. And those are laws that are unjust that I'm going to see take down. Go back home. Go back where you came from. Um, if you did that, <laughs> we just go and put him out the White House. So, okay, I'm home. This is my home because right, right, right. your ancestors were here yeah. before anybody else's were. Yeah. And then the Africans came over in the 1300s. Mm-hmm. Y'all got that? Mm-hmm. Not 1492. In the 1300s, the Africans were here mm-hmm. with the native people yeah. doing treaties. Yeah. You know? We were doing, he thinks he knows what treaty, treaty, he, we were doing treaties right. before the white man even knew what a treaty was. Right. Um, so, yeah, what, what, are, what, are, what, what, are, what are your thoughts about this and the, the attack, the, just the, on, and I mean, we've seen it throughout the administration, he attacked mm-hmm. um, Maxine Waters, yeah. um, our sister, um, whose name escapes me, wears the hat, um, Frederica Wilson, mm-hmm. you know, when, when he was disrespectful to the to the mother, of the, this, and you know, and that was crazy, you know, they didn't care about the black guy who had been gone missing, mm-hmm. and so 
it's just one thing after another. And, you know, somebody asked me the other day, you know, well, you know, he's just doing this for political purposes. I said it wasn't political when he was writing C on housing applications yeah. in the 70s mm-hmm. to keep black people from renting housing from him and his dad. Yeah. They, was, they weren't running for office then. They just, he wasn't running for office when he took out that ad for the Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. So, so this isn't just this sack that just popped up. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is this is who he is. This is and this is the same. And he's no different from anything else we face. Mm-hmm. This is the same systemic, ongoing continuum we've always faced. Uh, Queen Yonaja. You know, it's quite funny to me because 45 is a symbol of what has always been here. It's just that we're seeing it bold. Myself being an enrolled member, tribal member of my tribe, of the Ogallala Lakota Sioux Nation, and my father being black, you know, when I hear go back to where you came from, it, I, I'm like, you need to go back to where you came from. And, as, and I have every authority to be able to say, no, you go back to where you came from because this is indigenous land. For the longest time, before 45, every time I look at the U.S. Constitution, the First Amendment of the um, Declaration of Independence, it says that Native Americans are merciless savages. Mm -hmm. In 2019, that still says that in there. It has not changed. So when you were saying that, you know, when, all of the different terminology he's giving um, people of color. Every time we look at the Declaration of Independence, we're seeing merciless savages as Native Americans. So we're already, so the forefathers that stole this land and put our people, they were already doing this migration and taking us and putting us on reservations or concentration camps. Hitler, the reason why we refer to reservations as concentration camps is because Hitler looked at what, how they did the Native Americans and said, oh, I, how, what was that art to take the Native Americans and put them on reservations to be able to um, assimilate them, force assimilation, cut their hair, remove them from their families. My mother was a part of the boarding school syndrome or the, or the boarding school epidemic. My mother was forced and taken away from her father, my grandfather, and put into a boarding school. Mm. This was in the 1960s. Boardings, and then from there they shaved my mother's head. They stripped her from the language of the Ogallala Lakota language that she was speaking and said that she was forced to have to speak English. She had to assimilate to be white. And it, and these boarding schools happened all the way to the 1990s in Native American communities. So when we're seeing as Native people, we're seeing what's happening to our distant relatives on in these detention camps, we're like, that's basically what we have been dealing with and then the aftermath of that. And so it, it, it really hits home for us. We have, many tribes have been trying to figure out a way of how to be able to adopt our distant relatives, have been trying to figure out a way to adopt our distant relatives to bring them back home, especially when you look at the Treaty of Guadalupe of the native tribes that are around Mexico and California. They're trying to split that between the border of Mexico, California, Arizona, you know, that entire border, Texas area. So we... At the end of the day, we as black, brown, and native people have to really unite and come together in order for us to be able to fight white supremacy 
and even the symbol of white supremacy. But what we're seeing with the banks, you know, when we talk about PNC Bank, they financed and they're still financing oil pipelines that are coming on treaty land. They also are financing these um, ICE, these banks and these corporations are all coming together. We, as people of color, need to not react anymore of what they're planning. We need to come to a point of planning. And have an alternative. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, you mentioned all of the different shades we are. I mean, he's attacking us, even though there are more of us than there are of them. Yeah. I think that's interesting, Patrice. There's more of us than there are of them when it comes to being attacked. But then they try to portray immigration as one shade. I mean, if he, if he would have his way, it would just be Mexicans, just Mexicans. Mm-hmm. But as you said, the first people you know that would turn back were actually black folk. So it, it's just funny how they'll attack all of us when, 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 when he wants to say, make a racist statement as all of us. Mm-hmm. But then he wants to focus the, the country's attention. And, and you know, I don't think you're able to do that unless you're in a country that has this history of racism and white supremacy. So you're able to put people back um, in that position. Um, I want you to speak to that. How many more of us there are than there are of them, just inevitably. And also, specifically, what are some of the things Black is doing and what are the things you're planning to do something about all of this is going on? Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) I mean, I think our very presence and banding with people who have been doing this organizing work for a very long time. So we're multi-generational. We're not just young people, younger folks, older folks in between. And, you know, we have partners who are at the border. Um, You know, um, the Haitian Bridge Alliance is a partner we work with really, really closely. And they are, um, I can't go to Tawana, so my sister Gurleen, she goes to Tawana and sees all of these uh, black folks that are there from Cameroon, from Eritrea, from Haiti that are at the border. And it's, Mm. listen, here's what they do. You know why you don't see them? I can't go to Tawana, so my sister Gurleen, she goes to Tawana and sees all of these black folks that are there from Cameroon, from Eritrea, from Haiti, that are at the border. You know why you don't see them? Because white supremacy is global, and it also is in all of our institutions, including the ones that we've created to help people. And so people are deliberately being held back so that you don't see all the black people that are moving forward, but they exist. You know, they changed the asylum laws, as, as, as we know. Um, asylum is a, a, a right, an international right. And what they did was to restrict the process. So every time they see like us banding together, we had advocates that were going and saying, okay, let me help you get your paperwork together. Let me help you do this, do that. They changed how people can access asylum. So now to even get the, what does that mean for the people who speak um, indigenous languages? What does that mean for people who speak French Creole from Haiti, for people who come from, uh, you know, from, from, from Africa and, and are coming up through the border? And what does that mean to be able to give those folks a voice? So uh, a part of our work is deportation defense and very happy. um, You know, we uh, just had someone get free. His name is Abdi. He's from Somalia. He came here in 2017. So right around the time of the Muslim ban and uh, to join his wife and his two young babies. And he had his green card. Everything was good. But then they said, oh, well, you know, actually, there's something about you. We think you're connected to some group. And they detained him for almost two whole years. 
right? Almost two whole years. And so um, organizing director Deborah, she worked really hard on that with other groups, other black groups. That's what they don't like, right? Because all of us came together and said, okay, well, you know, how do we get him out? Sadat Ibrahim, another, an another gentleman, queer, black, Muslim from Ghana and he was he was he was detained for over 900 days he got free last year you know so we are doing that work and then going to Congress and telling them and say listen you unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you look at it are the people that are being listened to and so you need to tell the truth about who are in these detention centers right you need to tell the truth that black people have always been and will always be uh discriminated against until we fight back and you are one of those mouthpieces you know we're speaking to the congressional black caucus and saying stand up there's no reason that you are, are talking about, oh, immigration and all this, and you're not mentioning all the black migrants right. that have come to your office, right. that you have met with. And so that's some of the things that we're doing. You know, I, I'm the policy director, and part of what I do is I'm looking at these different policies, and I'm saying, hold up, wait, you're not mentioning black folks in here. Right. Hold up, wait, you know, you're not mentioning the abuse that black people are facing, and you're not trying to fix it, and you're trying to give more money to these institutions that are killing your people, literally killing your people. So, you know, I think really shining a light on it and organizing protests, doing all the different things, advocating um, uh, uh, on behalf and for ourselves is what we're doing. And, and we don't plan to stop anytime soon. You mentioned your brother was queer, black, Muslim and from Ghana. So um, Fatima Tico, I mean, it, it, it really, you know, they, they like to move around sometimes, you know, sometimes it's it's. It's strictly Islamophobia, but 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 then we see these times when they'll telegraph and let us know. No, it's 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 all y'all, <laughs> you know, and and it's all together. In, in a way, that sometimes a negative can lead to a positive because it it brings all of us into greater unity. Mm. You know, when I and, and I'm a minister myself, but when I see Christian ministers who, unlike me, would never invoke Islam in their church pulpit, in their Christian pulpit, wouldn't even acknowledge it, admit it. Okay. But when you hear preachers start to say, hey, I'm in solidarity mm -hmm. with the Muslim people and the Mexican people and people of other faiths, mm -hmm. that that's kind of a, that's a, a clean glass coming into shape in the, in the face of a dirty glass, isn't it? Absolutely. So the mosque that I grew up in practicing at um, always kept solidarity. We actually had solidarity dinners where we would have um, preachers and ministers and leaders of all different races and religions at this dinner. And that's what taught us to look into the world in that way. Um, I remember when Trump first put the ban out, um, my grandfather had just passed away, my father, my mother's father, and she had gone back overseas to, you know, lay him to rest, and she couldn't come back. Mm. Being a citizen of this country, been here for many years, it was the scariest thing to me to think that my mom can't come home. Oh, no while you're out there telling us to go back home. She's just trying to come home. This is her home. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, mm. you know, that's to, to touch back on what you were saying, you would think that being raised in this, and we had this conversation actually earlier, Queen, we, you become oblivious to certain things because you're raised a certain way. And there's so many people out here that are raised to hate. Mm -hmm. 
and to be racist and to look at people's skin color or the way they dress or the way they act or talk or their their choice on their their gender or their um relationships it's it's now being implemented from 45 yeah 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 um queen uh Yonajaha, um what are some of the things that you're working on um to react to this in the context of all the other things that you're doing as well. Secondly, speak directly to women of color, particularly young women of color, who again, I don't think as many people speak up and say, you know, this actually hurts me, I'm affected by this. You know, we just go on our daily routine, because we don't have a choice, we gotta feed our families, feed ourselves, go to work and, and be middle class, working poor. But speak to young women and, and, and give them some advice on how they should keep their spirits up in the midst of this onslaught. We are really, women are in a, are under attack. And it's really prof um, prophetically because one thing that I've learned um, in our indigenous teachings is that when you are attacking the woman, you're attacking the nation, you're attacking the future. And we are fighting something that is, we're basically fighting Satan head on. But what that does is that I always call these things necessary evils because it's necessary for us to be able to see the evil in order for us to unite and fight harder. And when the woman is under attack, we have to fight back. I just made a post and I said black lives don't matter unless black women, until we protect the black woman. I just made a post and I said, we cannot say that we are protecting Mother Earth and fighting for Mother Earth if we're not fighting and protecting women, period. Because we are the ones that are carrying and birthing a nation of, for the generations to come. So that's really what, that's the reason why um, our sister, sisters Tamika and Carmen and Linda and Bob that created the Women's March was such under attack because it's the women. It's going to be us to be able to carry on the future of this nation. And so I believe for all the young women that are listening in and tuning in that if they know how much of responsibility and what we are carrying, then we most definitely have to stand firm in our womanhood, in our strength, and know that there's ancestors that, of, um, that are carrying us and pushing us through. There's over a million ancestors that are behind us and keeping us going. Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, um, my mother, Juanetta Lone Wolf, you know, um, yeah, I mean, so many um, of for Frida, you know, I mean, I could just go on and on. All of the, the women warriors of Africa, you know, that are carrying and pushing us through. And also, we really need the protection of our men. More and more, we are seeing more women being under attack and our men are just videoing and just watching. And whether it's the older men that have to mentor the younger men to know that they have to protect us. When we're looking at the front lines of activism, whether it's police brutality, whether it's ICE, whether it's um, protecting right now the, the mountain of Moana Kia um, in Hawaii with uh, Pua Case, who was an older woman, the men have to be able to be right there with us. 
as we are protecting our future. We're already in position. We just need the men to come up and step up and be in position with us. So the work that I'm doing is to be able to I'm fighting white supremacy systematically under various umbrellas. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the indigenous people's movement, whether it's my national stop the killing organization, whether it's hip hop for foundation organization that I have, whether it's through entertainment and bringing in hip hop artists to, to put them in position to talk about the things that we are all fighting for. Um, and and we have to be able to and I'm, and and it's all how do we all work work together collectively so right now God, I'm in so many fights right now. Um, police brutality. Three of my cousins were murdered by police in the last four years on the reservations. And and Mark, you don't know this, but and we talk all the time. But since December, my in in the same day, I went to my great aunt. She passed away in South Dakota, mm -hmm. and I was going to South Dakota for a um, our tribal. Um, um, conference on environmental and and what we're going to do about what's happening in our community. Angelo came with me, Angelo okay. Pinto, mm -hmm. and um, right when I landed, my younger cousin committed suicide oh. in the same day. Yeah, and then, so I, I knew Nipsey Hussle. Um, that hit me very hard. My dear friend Todd One just passed away. Um, just last week, my friend Randy, his daughter Hannah, was murdered by police. Um, just in April, my uh, my relative was shot. Um, Clarence Leading Fighter was shot inside of a church. Native American in the borderline of my reservation in Nebraska. Mm. I've dealt with, uh, I, I can't even, I think about 10, I think 10 deaths in 2019 alone. That's far. And then in the midst of that, also families that I do not know and I'm standing with them. So, you know, as activists, as organizers, we are in trauma. Yeah. We are literally working and living in trauma. And it seems like it's been amplified since President Trump became president, you know, because now um, growing up in Phoenix, Arizona, where I'm from, I'm in Atlanta now. But growing up in Phoenix, Arizona, I've, I've been seeing white supremacy. I went to school with skinheads. You know, yeah. I, my my first action, major action, is I started a riot at my high school because one of the skinheads wrote nigger on my locker. Wow. That was my first major action. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the thing is, is that I feel that, so we're all kind of wearing various hats because we're like, oh my God, another another killing, another injustice, and Trump is saying something else, and we got to react. We got, But I really feel that we have to work systematically so we're not always reacting. Yep. Yep. Um, and I know I just said this, but I, I'm really I'm emphasizing that because they're doing what they want to do. Right now, in Georgia, we have been fighting in front of the people been getting arrested in front of the detention centers. We have been fighting on detention. The detention centers, they're protesting in front of the, the detention centers. But while we're doing that, the governor, Kemp, is already finding funding to build a child detention center right in the greater Atlanta area. And it already has when they're going to open it June 2020. So while we're saying no justice, no peace, ah, they're like, whatever, yeah. we're going to do us. We have to get to a place of yeah. independence. How independent, how sovereign, how free are we really when we continue to respond to what they're doing? We have to be able to be in the independent mindset, in the decolonized mindset and say, no, we're, forget what they're doing. Let's do us. Yeah. We have to do that. And that's the place. And that's what I'm working on is figuring out ways and 
working with other people on let's do us. And I always say, I never wait for a seat at the table, I bring the table. All right, True. all right, all right, okay. let's do us. Go on, uh, go on offense instead of be always being on defense. That's right. Uh, something else you said as we get to wrap up, um, you mentioned asylum and you mentioned trauma. And now if we're all going through trauma ourselves as servant leaders, Imagine what the masses are going through. Right. And so asylum really becomes a metaphor. You gotta escape whatever situation you're in that is oppressing you, whether it be along that border in your country or it being ideological or mental or cultural. You know, you gotta figure out a way. And and let's be honest, we can go anywhere in the world and people of color are oppressed. Because as Dr. Francis Chris Wilson said, whom you knew and I knew well. Uh, white supremacy is global. So, okay, we gonna keep going, y'all. Let's move. Let's go. Let's get out of here because Trump's crazy. Let's go across this water and go to Canada. Right. But there's oppression there too, right. because there's white supremacy. So that's why we have to fight all these fights. Um, while we were, and, and also just a, another metaphor for asylum. Speaking to somebody, who, Fatima was whispering in my ear when uh, Patrice was saying asylum. She said she whispered in my ear, you know, Mark, Trump needs to be in a mental asylum. Did you say that? Did you say that? Did you say that, Fatima? Absolutely. That's what, said. That's what I thought you said. I thought I heard you say that. Uh, uh, <laughs> for more reasons than one, but we'll, we'll get to that even later. Uh, it's really an, an honor uh, to be here um, uh, with, with all of you uh, queens. And I, I'm a proud feminist as a man. Yes, you are. You know, and uh, people wonder, but how is that possible? I was raised simultaneously by my great-grandmother, my grandmother, and my mother. So all I've ever known is, is women, women leadership. So I'm just very comfortable with it. And, you know, I like to encourage it because that's even what I'm used to, <laughs> what I'm comfortable with. So, um, and as I said at the beginning, um, you've touched the women and now you've struck a rock. Y'all get ready. This is going to be some real stuff going down. Uh, Fatima, Tico, how can people reach you, social media and whatnot? Um, all my social media is T underscore Fatima, F-A-T-I-M-A underscore. Um, or if you would like to email me, it's ambitiousfutures at gmail.com. All right. Patrice Lawrence, how can people find you and DocuBlack and everybody? Oh, yes. Uh, so on DocuBlack is U-N-D-O-C-U-B-L-A-C-K. Undocumented black people. We, we make it real plain there. And uh, it's uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and we're also on um, on Facebook. And then I'm uh, you can reach me on Twitter on DocuBlack underscore Pat. And please go and, and look. And uh, right now we have a campaign. Right now we're trying to raise money for the Thompson family, a Jamaican family that is in sanctuary in a church right now in Philadelphia. Um, and their kids need to go back to school. So we are. Uh, so please go and support and and share and like all of our things because that that type of a digital advocacy it counts, y'all. Some of us need to realize that we black. Some folks still in the white supremacy places us on rungs as people of color. Yep. So you know some of us are people of color, but we don't want to be black. Right. All right? right. So in a minute we have to acknowledge that that's we all are people of color and the same. Some folks say, I'm brown, but I'm not black. Or I'm Muslim, but I'm not black. Some folks think when they become Muslim, even some black folk, when they become Muslim uh, and convert, that they're not black no more. Because the worst thing in the world to be is black, and nobody wants to be that. Right. You know, some, some black folk claim uh, that they have indigenous ancestry, whether they do or not. 
And then they do the DNA, AfricanAncestry.com. That's a plug for them. Yeah. And they found that there's no indigenous. They get mad. That can't be. My grandmother told me, said, no, a lot of us would claim that because we didn't want to be black then either. Mm-hmm. We felt like it was even better right. to be indigenous. So we need we need to get around that. Um, Queen Yonajaha, how can people reach you? Social media, everything. Queen Yonazda. That's what it looks like. Y-O-N-A-S-D-A. Um, I'm the only Yonajaha in the world. So you put that in and they'll come right up. <laughs> All right. Uh, an honor to be with all of you. Uh, and it's those of you, some of you will just hear us, but those of you who are able to see us uh, on video, I asked these uh, queens to come sit and talk to me. I didn't know it was going to turn into uh, a high fashion situation. Uh, Tiffany had to leave. She was, you know, but everybody's got their own fashion thing going on too. So keeping it real in the movement. Uh, this is another edition of Make It Plain. Download, share, share with everyone what we're doing here. This is the podcast. You can also subscribe to the live daily show, which occurs 7 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time every single day. Uh, MakeItPlain.com. That's a, a live daily podcast. Uh, uh, go and subscribe, please, ma'am. Please, sir. We thank all of you. Assalamu alaikum, sister. Uh, and blessings to you both. Yeah. Uh, Hotep, uh, if all minds are clear, it has been made plain. It's time to get woke. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C O R I E N T.com. Corient.com.